You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Scott Carson back on the show to talk about his brand new book, Where They Wait. Uh, You may also be familiar with Scott uh, by his other writer name, Michael Carita, and uh, Michael slash Scott. Um, It has a brand new book, Where They Wait. It's amazing, and uh, I know you guys are really going to love it. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you. Appreciate the chance to be back under any name. So, um, Scott, uh, since we chatted last, um, the world has has been a little weird. Um, we've, uh, you know, weathered a pandemic and and coming out, uh, you know, hopefully for the better, uh, you know, gradually on the other side of it. What what is your uh, last year and a half been like in, in your writer life? You know, crazy. I mean, like like everyone, I guess I want to always preface that by saying my family was fortunate enough that they all stayed healthy. So that's great. Um, you know, certainly, you know, better than, than a lot of people experienced, but it was, it was a weird time to be a human period. Um, let alone a writer. I've got my first event in almost two years that will actually have people tonight. Um, wow. you know, and it's still a mask requirement and, where where we are the the rates are, are really low but it's just it's such an odd time um and the book where they wait actually comes out of that moment this is the one that i conceived of and wrote during you know 2020 and, and during um lockdown and and really the story comes from thinking about early in those early days of lockdown i read an article that referenced the soaring numbers of um, subscriptions and downloads of these mindfulness apps and people were trying to, you know, cope with their anxiety by using a headspace or a calm or a 10% happier. I mean, there there are a bunch of them out there and it made complete sense, but then the, you know, the, the writer part of my brain kicked in and said, I was just thinking like, do, do we really feel comfortable outsourcing our subconscious needs? you know, like our, our emotional needs to um, to tech. And I just kind of ran with it from there. And it ended up being a book that, while the pandemic is never mentioned, I think it's very much of, of the paranoia of that year. Yeah. So I have to ask you this, and we'll get back to talking about where they wait in just a minute, because I, I, that's fascinating where, where it came from. Um, but, you know, most writers spend, you know, their days, a lot of their days kind of sequestered quietly in their writing office or their, you know, writing space. And, uh, you know, which is them and their, you know, laptop or, 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 you know, whatever the device is that they're using. Um, and so, 
you know, being quarantined and kind of stuck at home, it is not that big of an adjustment for a lot of writers. Um, but there is some some kind of mental gymnastics that that go on with knowing that the rest of the world is doing what you normally do on a on any given day uh, and and stuck at home. Um, how did how did it affect you creatively? It's a great point. It's a great question because I remember in the early days. I had this like bizarre desire to I don't, j- jump on a subway and like go into the office because it felt like the human solidarity of everyone who lived in that kind of world was being sent home suddenly. And you want to, I think there's an emotional desire to share these um, sort of sacrifices and the changes and the turmoil. and then you take a breath and realize, you know, how fortunate you are to have a scenario where I'm already, as you say, like I'm set up to work from home. My professional life doesn't change. So that's great. But then it's, it's figuring out how to, to block out the noise of the outside world. And in, in those early weeks, it was really difficult for me. I mean, I, I remember, you know, I, I felt like I was just consuming news 24 hours a day and being able to to block that out was a challenge at first and then as as time went on it became probably the greatest relief i had in 2020 i mean you know we had the pandemic we had a political meltdown we had, there was so much going on there was so much chaos that the chance to go into the fictional world of a horror story felt somehow like soothing, you know, I mean, that would, yes. that says a lot about the year we just left behind. Yes. And, and a sentence like that makes perfect sense in the context that we're living in. I mean, what, what was your experience? Yeah. Well, it, a lot of the same, you know, I, I work from home and, uh, and there's, uh, so not a lot, you know, about my daily routine, uh, changed, but it was interesting to see, the way the rest of the world was reacting to the news and and, and seeing how um, you know other people were dealing with it and it it was definitely a uh, uh, a unique experience. I don't know that we'll ever experience anything quite like that again. It was uh, it was bizarre on so many levels. Exactly, and I mean, well, I I hope we don't experience it again. Right. I do think there was something. Um, there was something very interesting about having having gone through it. You know, it, in my generation, there hasn't been anything close right. to that sort of like prolonged uh, trauma. And it, and it creates very interesting ripple effects. I mean, I, it, I don't know about you, but I, it, it definitely deepened some friendships for me. And um, it, you know, made me think about friends and family in different ways and it made me think about place in different ways i have always i think had some decent gratitude for where i live but um during those early weeks and and months of you know full-on lockdown to be in i was in bloomington indiana when it started and then once we could finally get a, a test here i was able to my wife and i went to maine and I mean, I've always appreciated the natural environment and the space there, but never more acutely than 
last year when I was always on the phone <laughs> right. with people who were living in LA or New York and, you know, they're holed up in apartments trying to navigate online school for their kids. And I just, I'm thinking like, I felt guilty about, you know, I'm, I can walk out of my door and I'm, you know, in a park essentially. So it gave right. me a different perspective and appreciation for sure. Yeah, we, we live uh, kind of out in the country, about 10 miles out from our, our nearest town, and and uh, we have about 10 acres of yard, you know, surrounding us. And, uh, you know, the ability to walk outside and just, uh, you know, carry on with your normal day, um, the, I, I really felt for people that were, you know, kind of sequestered and on top of each other, if you will, you know, in, in places like New York and L.A., um, that, that had to be a, a – a sort of mental stress that that is definitely unique to this experience. Oh, 100%. I mean, I got to the point where I sort of dreaded in the small talk beginning of a Zoom conversation or a phone call. <laughs> I was dreading having someone ask where you are because so many of the people that I was doing business with, you know, were in that circumstance of um, just a, a whole different level of, of lockdown experience. So, right. Um, yeah, you're right. It it gives you an appreciation for things that you might have overlooked. And it also it brought to mind a lot of experiences that I've only really known as a reader. Um, you know, I was thinking of like some of Stephen King's work. He does he's always been drawn to the, the sort of siege novel, you know, right. whether it's under the dome or the mist and the way people react and either form uh, you know, a, a closer tie, or they develop a, a deeper distrust. And it just, it, it was like watching one of those things play out around you. Um, definitely interesting stuff. Hard for me. I don't, I know some writers grabbed onto it and put it right into the work. And, you know, we have, you know, the masks and the, and, and the moment captured in their work in real time. And I started where they wait with that in mind. My the first uh, pages I sent to my editor and my agent referenced. I mean, I think I referenced the pandemic on page one as a reason that Nick Bishop, the narrator, is like headed back to his hometown. And then I just I couldn't I I couldn't deal with writing that in fiction. It was, it, it just seemed to exhaust me, and I thought it's it's probably going to exhaust the reader too. So I just let it kind of like float out in this time where, you know, it's contemporary, but I never nail down a year and I, I never address um, anything related to COVID. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because now being in the the fourth quarter of 2021 and, you know, hopefully we are, you know, going maybe next year, we'll get back to, to as close to normal as we used to know. Um, so it does seem like we're we're coming through it and and we're we're getting better and better by the day um but what we're now seeing is like i mean this is a, a perfect example where they wait came out of this time and you even talk about um sorry i thought i turned that off um i and you you talk about how you know your personal struggle with with deciding um how much of the present um, affliction to put into the book. Um, it, I, we're now seeing more and more books that are that are coming out that were birthed during this time, and only um, 
there, there's only a couple that I can think of that directly um, uh, reference COVID and, and the um, the the pandemic and the lockdowns and all of that. Most people have found other ancillary um, events or side effects of that that then springboard uh, novels. Do you – as a reader, let me let me ask you this first. As a reader, um, how would you feel about reading um, a thriller or something that that directly, uh, you know, kind of holds a mirror up to what we just experienced? You know, I would try it, um, but I can't say I have a, a real appetite or hunger to to dive into it. Um, but it would it would need to be you know the the right writer and the right approach. I mean, I was just reading a review in the New York Times of um, I can't think of the the name. It's like Our Country Friends, I think, which is set entirely in the um, early days of lockdown. This group of people gets out of the, they get out of the city and then they're at you know they all, all kind of form like a pod and. Um, one person's sort of country estate and it's written by a hell of a writer and i'm sure it's very good but i reading the review i can't can't say that i thought oh great you know this is the the thing that i want to dive back into it still feels a little fresh to me um but that's just you know that's one subjective opinion dabble is a proud sponsor of author stories Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app, on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. You have an amazing story idea. You execute the writing and editing flawlessly, and now the only thing missing are readers. We can help you go from author to author superhero with Story Origin. Story Origin is a one-stop shop for marketing tools with a community of amazing authors working together to find reviewers, build mailing lists, increase sales, and collect feedback from beta readers. Everything an author needs, all in one place from providing review copies or beta copies, reader magnets to ensure you stay connected with readers, easily distribute audio promo codes, universal retail links to send readers directly to the proper point of purchase, or provide direct download links for members of your mailing list. Story Origin has all the tools you need in one easy-to-use site. Use the promo code ASP21 at checkout when subscribing to the yearly plan, and you will get 10% off your first year. This code will expire December 31st, so hurry over and subscribe now. StoryOriginApp.com So I have to ask you this, Scott. Um, when you begin a new book, um, because you also write under your your real name, Michael Carita, and have written quite a number of thrillers uh, and and suspense novels that uh, that are action packed and you know really carved uh, 
your place in that niche. Um, when you begin a new book, what what it tells you, what informs you that this is going to be a Michael Carita book or this is going to be a Scott Carson book? Do you know from the beginning that that you're going to put one writer hat on or the other? Or as the story evolves and grows in the writing, does does it then reveal itself as to what nature no, I, it is? I always – I know from the beginning. I mean it, it was conceived as – something where the, the Scott Carson um, name would ha- kind of handle the, like the supernatural stories, the horror stories, more, more of the, the weird side, I guess. And then um, Michael Carita would be more uh, straightforward crime fiction thrillers. Um, and the, one of the reasons that I decided to do that, I mean, in, in my dream scenario, I would have been able to keep it, a true pseudonym for a longer period, but there was also a very practical publishing concern there, which was it had been about 10 years since I had done anything that was supernatural, um, that had that paranormal kind of quality. And, you know, when you work in this business, it's like, even if you have great publishing partners, they're, they're kind of helped out by putting you in a box and, and trying to brand you in a certain way. Um, so it seemed pretty natural to separate that, but, you know, I've got separate contracts and deadlines for what I'm doing under each name. So, um, you know, I'm thinking of the the stories kind of time themselves out. I I know when I'm going to switch hats. So what are some of the ground rules that you've set up for yourself for, what constitutes a Scott Carson novel? What constitutes a Michael Carita novel? Is it is it the the paranormal aspect or the yeah, the it's, ability it's, it's, to it's kind of branch out? The Carson stuff will have you know probably some supernatural elements. It's going to going to be more on the um, the horror side of things, and then the Caritas will be you know more straightforward traditional crime suspense. Gotcha. Um, when when you start, do you approach the writing of the two different books differently? Like, are there, um, you know, are, I can't remember if you're a plotter or a pantser, um, uh, but do, do, does the same writing style apply whether you're writing a Michael book or a Scott book? Yeah, I mean, uh, sadly, I couldn't actually tap into a, a different process or brain. I mean, I'm, I. I can't outline. I've never been able to do that successfully. So it, it's not like by hanging a different, um, if it worked, that would have been great, you know, hang a different name on it. And suddenly I understand how to outline. Um, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't turn out that way. So the process is, is the same and it's really more just about the content of the stories. Um, and that, that lean into the supernatural. So, so tell me a little bit about the um, that the first ideas that you had when you when you when you started exploring what would become where they wait. Um, so you're thinking about uh, you know the the world is we're in the midst of a pandemic and people are looking for ways to uh, to to channel those emotions and to to find some normalcy. Um, at what point did did what you were observing in the world? Uh, kind of start running, uh, you know, wild and free and, and, and start seeing a story come out of that. 
Well, I've had an idea for a book sort of similar for a few years. And I, I kept thinking I would write it and then I would discard it and move on to something else because there's an element that just felt very familiar. I had been thinking about um, a story in which a guy pulls into his local, you know, Walgreens or CVS and he's just there to pick up like an allergy prescription and they give him his bag and it has another bottle made out to him. And um, I, I had the name, it was Clarity. And so the substance is not anything he's ever heard of before. And then he goes home, you know, does his Google thing. And it's like this medication doesn't exist. But then he's reading the literature that came with it and thinks, I want to try it. And, you know, then tries the pill and kind of crazy things begin happening. So I'd like that idea. But then there's something about the pill element that just felt more familiar. Like we've kind of seen those stories before. And it had been, it had just lingered in my mind. And I saw, I began to, to hear and read about these, you know, the apps. And I thought, oh, okay, this is the way into the same, um, the same terrain, but with a, a fresher look at things, because it was a moment when we were all experiencing the world through our phones and our screens, you know, like it, it was the, the season of Zoom and FaceTime and, you know, whatever sort of productivity apps and then relaxation apps. And it's just, our lives were being run by our phones. And I thought, man, that is fertile ground to tell a really spooky story because um, I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I have a nice healthy dose of tech phobia to begin with. You know, we're <laughs> yes. reading the stories that are coming out right now about Facebook. I'm not surprised by any of them. It's like, okay, right. we, you know, they waited the algorithm in favor of anger because anger got better reactions and kept people on the site longer. And I mean, none of those things are really surprising to me because the whole game is we need to hold you here. Once we have you, we have to keep you here. And why would that be any different? for an app that claims it's it's going to relax you you know they, they still need to to grab onto you and so thinking about that i was um i mean you know to me that's just when all all the circuits split up and i thought i can really do something with this where did the um the character of nick bishop come from probably from imagining what would have happened if i had stayed in journalism <laughs> you know, because I started, I was working for a newspaper and at the time I was young and I had gotten some nice opportunities. I'd written some stories that, you know, got nice attention, won some awards. And I had an opportunity to, to move on to a larger newspaper that, that was appealing. You know, I, I, I thought about it. Um, and at the time, the way they pitched the job to me, it, I mean, it, it seemed like an incredible opportunity to be um, to do enterprise reporting and kind of find, you know, find the story that I wanted to tell. And they wanted me doing bigger in-depth pieces. And as a journalist, it, it was extremely appealing. But when I think back on that now, I mean, what happened in that industry was just it's been such a bloodbath 
with Gatehouse, you know, I forget the other hedge fund that has just been gutting these newsrooms. Um, and so I look at that and I think, you know, there's a very real possibility that if I had gone into that business, even kind of riding high as, as a young guy, I easily by now could be laid off and looking for the next thing. And I think that is why I decided to write in first person, which I haven't done in years. Um, Nick's character felt felt like one I could inhabit very easily because I felt like I, I could be this guy. You know, I, I literally could have had um, the, the job that I turned down was in Florida. So I set him up as, you know, he's been around. He's, he did a tour as a war correspondent, but it's for a Florida-based newspaper. And when we pick him up at the beginning of the book, he's been laid off and really has, he doesn't know what the next thing is. So he takes this opportunity to for five grand to do like a puff piece for the alumni magazine in his hometown. And he ends up, you know, back home with all of the complicated emotions that that sort of return would bring. And it was just, it felt very easy for me to step into that and, and see it through his eyes. So Nick is writing a, a puff piece, as you said, uh, for this new um, piece of tech, this this uh, mindfulness app, and he quickly realizes that uh, it it's kind of more than he bargained for, um, and and the 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 app has has this unique um, part uh, to it, the sleep songs. Uh, where did the idea for these um, these creepy uh, and uh, this this creepy portion of the app, and and also the fact that um, that it guides you the, these creepy songs guide you you know into deep sleep. Um, that there's something about sleep um, that we don't quite understand, and it, it still kind of terrifies us um, to know that we're just kind of checked out for eight hours at a time, and 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 things might be going on that, that you know that, that that it's fertile ground for um for a story like this uh, how did all of those elements come together sure i mean it, it's very fertile ground for this world because sleep is the closest we get to death you know i mean it's until you're all the way there sleep is about <laughs> as close as most of us are going to experience right um and then there's the dreaming element too you know, which we understand a little bit about dreams, but there's a lot we don't understand too. And so one of the elements that the Clarity app claims to be doing is shaping your dreams. And it's like, well, what if we could remove all of your nightmares and remove all of your stress? And we're going to, to promise you that your sleep is going to be, you know, soothing and relaxing. Um, and you're gonna wake feeling refreshed and with a, a clear mind and energized. It's like, how many of us would say, well, like, hell yeah, sign me up. That sounds great. Um, but then when you get in there and you begin to tug at the, the wires of the subconscious and the unconscious mind, you know, you're talking about identity at that point, And you're talking about memory and the way we navigate through the world. And so that's, I wanted to explore. I got into this side of research when I wrote a book called Last Words, which involved memory, but also that that was primarily focused on hypnosis. But the research was fascinating to me um, and, and how much we are beginning to understand. But then there's this, you know, vast uh, 
uh, sea of unanswered questions on the other side. And this was a, a chance to return to that idea of how do we remember things? How do we form our sense of self? And what role do dreams play in that? So, you know, to me, that's as a horror writer, it, it's just a pitch right down the middle. I mean, I, <laughs> right. I, I love the idea of um, a song coming in. And song is very interesting, too, because it's, you know, they, they outlast so many other things. And we remember songs much easier. It's a great way, actually, to teach foreign languages. We remember songs in a way that we struggle to remember um, the written word or the spoken word. And so I thought that element of adding adding melody and cadence just made it much more visceral and tapped into another sense, hopefully, for the reader. I, I think people from our generation have more of a, a healthy um, distrust of, of technology. Uh, you know, as, as someone who grew up in the 70s and 80s, um, I, I, I got to see the computer revolution which you know then uh bled into the internet revolution and now you know the the mobile space and and how that is um kind of shaping and affecting our lives um younger people um you know like people my kids age just embrace things and it just you know have a tendency to just dive all in because they've they've been surrounded by this technology their whole life uh, in writing this story did uh did your attitudes about uh technology and its role in our life and the way that we trust or distrust technology um did did your attitudes about any of that change in writing this or did it uh just kind of solidify where you already were yeah, I think I, I think it's the latter, which might be kind of sad. Um, but the more <laughs> the more research I did and the more I read, it's you know these companies are the profit requires our attention, and there's something deeply troubling to me about that because it's a very different game than a book or even television, something that, you know, is kind of coming at you that you're making a choice of, do I want to hang in here do I, or do I not? When you have, I mean, companies like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, which is obviously owned by Facebook, but they're employing some, you know, top of their profession, psychologists and neuroscientists to study the human mind and figure out what we respond to. I mean, they want to create addicts. There's a great book by um, a professor named Jean, I think his name is pronounced Twenge, T-W-E-N-G-E, um, called iGen. And so that's getting into this generation, just like you mentioned, the kids who never, they always have had a smartphone. They, they don't remember the world without that. And she gets into some of the, um, you know, careful application of, it's like, slot machine behavior. Okay, we know that they respond more to seeing this color and we're gonna change the pattern and we're gonna create a dopamine hit. And I mean, so much of that, the active playing with the brain in order to command attention is a very scary thing to me. So I'd love to say that some of my attitudes changed, but I, 
really, the more I read, the more distrustful I became of <laughs> a lot of things tech. Yeah. Um, one thing that I find it uh, fascinating about about the book is um, the way that you merge uh, technology, which um, is uh, in in a lot of ways, um, even though we we don't really understand a lot of it in in layman's terms, um, we think of technology um as as very scientific you know you you have to write computer code um and and the computer has to translate translate that code very specifically you can't have typos you can't you know the, there's no room for uh for a computer to to think what you might have meant it it's black or white you know period um and then you you merge this uh this thing that's very black and white um, with the supernatural and, you know, kind of open the doors to to limitless possibilities. That had to be a fun thing to play with merging this one thing that, that we think in very concrete terms with this other side that is ethereal and, and could be anything at, at any time. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to feel like a classic ghost story, a campfire ghost story wrapped up and new packaging essentially we, you know with it it's okay here's the the iphone version of a campfire ghost story um because i really liked the idea that when we as humans feel like we are doing something new and we are creating you know new control there is still so much of of the natural world and to me the natural and supernatural are very intertwined. There's so much of, of this in our past that we've already forgotten. And there, there are primal things that, you know, our minds used to know that we've lost along the way. And I, I wanted to sort of conjure that sense of here is a, a threat from the past that humans already thought they could get their hands around and they lost control of it once. And it's been kind of buried and now it's coming back in this new form. And so we're in a new generation. And again, they say, okay, this time we can get our hands around this. And I feel like that is very in keeping with human nature. It's, you know, innovation always leads to good things and bad things. And that's, I wanted to, to walk that knife's edge thinking about, you know, what, science can do i mean you know the incredible life-saving advances um that we are seeing every day i mean you know the vaccine rollout would be a perfect example of how how swiftly uh modern science can rise to the moment on the positive side but then we also have like i mean you think about the atomic bomb testing it's like well once we built that thing we were going to use it right and you know, it hasn't it hasn't been used since, but I also don't believe that there was a world in which the Manhattan Project ends without using that thing. Or at least, I mean, they were they were damn sure gonna test it. Right. <laughs> and and it's that sort of thing that is embedded in humanity. Where they wait is uh, is out available everywhere now, just in time for um, this spooky weekend. Um, 
uh, Halloween coming up. This is a, a uh, an, an ideal read for, for this time of year. Um, Scott, now that the book is out, um, what are you turning your attention to now? Can we expect another Scott book? Is there another Michael book uh, in in the in the shoot somewhere? Yep, you can expect uh, more more from each of these guys. I've got a book coming out next summer under my um, my real name called An Honest Man. That's a thriller I'm I'm working on a rewrite of right now. I'm enjoying that one, and I'm neck deep in a script adaptation of Never Far Away, which um, has so far has been a really it's a great team, great experience. So I'm I'm very guardedly optimistic on that one. Is, is there a, um, uh, an outlet for that uh, slated yet? Uh, no, I mean, I'm writing it for, you know, the studio. Um, and then in terms of where it goes from here, we'll, we'll see. But um, it's, as I said, it's, it's been a great team. And I feel about as optimistic with this one as I have in, in a long time. So hopefully That's more news on that front soon. That's fantastic. Where They Wait is available everywhere now in Kindle edition or hardcover. Also, audiobook. Have you listened to the audiobook yet? Uh, no, just bits and pieces. I, I can't listen to my own stuff. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm too sick of it by then, but the narrator is fantastic. Uh, Robert Petkoff, who he's, it. he's really, really good. So yeah, I was thrilled great to work. have him. Excellent. Well, we're going to put links to all those places in the show notes where you can grab those. Uh, Scott, if people are you know, just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they connect with you online? Uh, MichaelCarita.com is probably the, the best place. So K-O-R-Y-T-A. If you just throw that into Google, you, you find me. There aren't too many of us. Great. We'll link that up as well to make it easier for folks to find you. Uh, Michael slash Scott, thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show. We're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of Where They Wait. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Glebe's The Jason Crane Series. They made instant coffee and laid blankets over a pile of hay. He helped Kate pull off her boots. She volunteered for first watch but Jason couldn't sleep. Talk to me, he whispered. Kate sipped her coffee. She sat silhouetted against the soft navy sky. A field of stars hung above her. The constellations peered in through the windows and slats. How about a story? Sure. My mom used to tell this one. It's the legend of the star maidens. He watched her words as she spoke, her story illustrated by puffs of vapor that mixed with the steam of her coffee. Long ago, a Mohican brave became lost in this valley. He'd followed a red deer deep into the woods, but the deer had vanished, and as twilight fell, he lost his way. He searched the heavens. He saw a bright star and followed it. It shone upon a clearing in the woods. Spook rock lay at the center, emanating magic and in the starlight, he discovered the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. He discovered a star maiden. She was dancing with her sisters, and all seven were naked. Oh, really? Jason whispered. Seven naked star maidens? Shh. Why do these things never happen to me? The brave decided he must take the star maiden for his wife, so he seized her and threw her over his shoulder, and she loved him for his courage. They married and had a son. 
then one. Then it gets sad. The star maiden missed her home. She gazed at the sky every night. She loved her husband and her baby very much, but she missed her sisters, and she especially missed the dancing. So she snuck away one night and returned to the sacred rock, and she begged her sisters, please appear, please appear to me for one last dance. They came to her and took her into the sky. Kate's silhouette swayed. One last dance. It was wonderful. And when the dance was finished, they sent her back to earth. She thought that she'd been away for only a little while. But that one dance had taken many, many years. She ran back to her husband, back to her baby. But they were gone. Her home was empty. The hunter had stopped waiting for her. He'd given up hope that she would return. He'd taken their child and had left with his tribe. One last dance had cost her everything, and she had no home at all. Jason could sense something roiling inside Kate, some brew of feelings that the story had stirred. He wanted to leap up, to grab her and carry her off, his star maiden, and wife. She climbed up to Spook Rock. She heard no music, only wind. She died there of her grief. She dwindled and lost her star form. She became a will-o'-the-wisp, fluttering between the trees. And see that constellation? The Pleiades. Those are her seven sisters, watching down from heaven. And, to this day, if a girl has lost her true love, she can go to Spook Rock and dance, and the star maidens will bless her. They'll grant her one wish, any wish at all, except one. They can't make her true love return.